I just need to place a trigger warning on this episode of the last 27 years. Themes of domestic violence and sexual trauma will be explored. Welcome to Shine Me A Light Podcasts. In this series, The Last 27 Years, we go through in each episode the last 27 years in the life of one class of 95 Sydney Girls High School student, and this episode is Kate Jackson. So first question is, though, because I assumed everyone did HSC together in 95. I left end of 94. Huh. Did you do HSC yeah. in 95 with everybody? Because everybody who did do it yeah. is like, yeah, I did it with everybody. Who left? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Grace Kim left. Who didn't do it? <laughs> you know, there's like half a dozen uh, people yeah. who, were, who weren't there. So okay. You, so you did. And did. what happened after 95? Where did you Andrew. go? Did you go to uni or what? <laughs> Oh, the grief I have, the loss of high school. <laughs> uh, where did I go? <laughs> no, true. Um, okay, so after 1995, I had it pretty ingrained into me that I should be going to university. Yeah. And I was pretty keen on doing photography. Yes. Uh, but I also had a mum in the background that was um, pretty pushy. <laughs> and she... Um, really wanted me to go to the school that she went to, which was College of Fine Arts on Oxford Street. Yep. So I, you know, kind of dug my heels in the ground and decided, well, I'm not going to give her everything she wants. I'll do art theory. Okay. So I went to College of Fine Arts to start out at doing art theory. Now, that really wasn't a good decision yep. because – I wasn't doing what I loved. And, you know, I was really passionate about photography. I loved photography. I remember that about And you. now I'm in my, yeah, I love the photography. And now I'm in my older years. Um, I understand that for me, photography was a safe space. Yep. So I had a pretty complex family life. And now that, yeah, I'm in my 40s, I came to terms with understanding that the dark room was my safe place. It was my quiet space. It yeah. was a place that I could have total control over. I liked the fastidiousness of the dark room. Um, yeah, a bit of OCD or <laughs> hyper control. No, but everyone has that place though. Like I absolutely understand that. Like do you have your own dark room in your house today? No, that was the dream. That was the that's still, that was the dream. still possible. I don't have the that. dream. Yeah, yeah. I don't have it now. But so I I decided to do art theory. Yeah. And also I didn't. I was also interested in interior architecture. And these, it's unfortunate because now I'm older. I would say, if somebody asked me what my regrets were, I would say not listening to my mother more. Wow. However. That decision of not believing I could do architecture because she had an attitude about maths and I couldn't do maths and that I shouldn't go to Sydney College of the Arts um, because I, the other one was better, they weren't the right choices for me. Yeah. And I became, I guess, really isolated because uh, going from school where you have that discipline and routine and um, a big mob of girls doing it all together. Yeah. I really missed that. That was like the carpet being pulled out from underneath me. Come on. And um, I found it 
yeah, I didn't have anyone. There weren't any of my people at the College of the Fine Arts. Nobody else. Uh, I think maybe one or two went and did fine arts, but it was very much you are the theorist, these are the artists, and I really struggled with that. Yeah. Uh, and so... And also I uh, moved out of home um, with Erin Snellgrove. Right. <laughs> and I was desperate to get out of home. Yeah. I absolutely wanted to grow up and get out of home. So jumped yes. into moving out of home at 18. Relate to that. Uh, that wasn't the right choice <laughs> for me. It felt so um, right at yeah. the time. If you're anything like me, though, it was like freedom. Yeah. Yeah, freedom. But I didn't have any other options. It, the, it wasn't the right choice for me to stay living with my father my parents were separated and had been since I was three right. and I couldn't live with my mother so I didn't really have any choices yeah. but taking on that responsibility of having to put a roof over my head, having to co-live with someone, meet bills, all of those things that I thought I was invincible and I could do was really too much. You know, I, I, was, I remained good friends with Gemma Slark. She was really steady, you know. She went through uni, she went on to becoming a lecturer, she was working, she was living at home. She had this yeah, great stability that I didn't have. And so I just pretty much left school and went really quickly into a downward spiral. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't last at uni. I um, uh, ended up, you know, I didn't work out with Erin and then I lived with other people. Eventually I ended up in the Rubra. I was really quite lost, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I tried to keep doing uni. Uh, and then, and then I got caught up with the bloody bra boys oh, wow. <laughs> of all people. And then I ended up yeah. in hospital. For what? For a psychosis. For psychosis. Right, so, yep. So by the time I was 21, so I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't even turned 21 and I had yeah. a pretty intense psychosis, but I actually had been, um, yeah. raped, which I didn't realize, you know, by this. I don't know. I mean, some people are probably familiar with the story of the Bra Boys and the Jai who, you know, disputed his charge of murder for this guy that he killed. Well, that guy that he killed was someone that actually raped me. And I didn't come to terms with that. And at the same time, there was a lot going on. At the same time, I began to realise that my mother was probably Aboriginal because I did Koori studies and they put up all these images that looked like my mother when she was a child. So all this stuff just opened up and... Trauma, darkness, change. Yeah, I, and, and my friends went overseas, Erin went overseas. Yeah, and I, and I didn't have, you know, a family. Uh, my father moved to Tasmania. He was always a pretty critical person and he could have started, you know, big, huge, big, huge judgments on me. Yeah. And anyway, I basically ended up not sleeping, not eating. A friend committed suicide and so I had this psychosis and then that was an awful yeah. experience because they just straight away put this label on Was it on manic me. depression back got then? bipolar. He didn't, doctor didn't, um, just within 20 was minutes, wasn't bipolar. interested that I'd been. Yeah, I've had, I've had the diagnosis as well. It's quite hard to lose. <laughs> no, it, it was bipolar then, but I don't actually have bipolar. So once just, you've got it, it's it's, uh, it's like someone yeah, when you're saying I yeah. don't have bipolar because I've so been there. I don't have are, bipolar. Oh, of course you don't. Sorry, hard. You know, it's basically, some, it's I, one of those things. It's hard to get rid of. It's just awful. It's awful, and I was yeah. so horrified that this doctor 
in two weeks yep. spent 20 minutes with me. So, of course, I recorded everything. And <laughs> so in tw- 20 minutes over two weeks, you know, wow. and he had no interest that I'd been <laughs> Some raped. Some other factors. There was no interest you. that the man that raped me was actually coming to the hospital and visiting me, you know, oh, <laughs> this wow. gangster. Um, no interest. Well, and yeah. that I was almost six foot in a size seven. I was pretty much anorexia. I mean, these are, this is the mind reacts to that. And that actually I was in fear. I had this person in my life yeah. that was a danger to me. And so, yes, I was getting scared of taxis and I was looking at this and looking at that. And, you know, Gemma and Aaron had good reason to be worried about me and all of those things. But that was a fight yeah. or flight. It was it was a fear thing. It was a protective thing. The mind basically um, tried to protect me um from this person who I didn't even know what he'd done and um I sort of guess I considered myself pretty savvy because I grew up with my mum back and forth through Sydney from a really young age and at the art she went to the art school and so it's pretty street savvy um but I didn't (sighs) yeah anyway (laughs) when did that sort of crazy time for you where did it lead to next because I know for me it rolled for a long time and you're not the only one and I'm not the only one I was saying something to someone the other day about um, a crazy thing they told me and I said but that sounded like it was your 20s and they would said I was it was after 35 you know I was like oh okay I get that too you know so <laughs> did it roll like that for you for many years oh more and more of the same <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was really lucky, and I have to say today, um, you know, I was just on a panel the other week for homelessness, and uh, I was really lucky to have people in my life that uh, supported me. So, unfortunately, I came out of the hospital, and my father yeah. took me down to Tasmania because wow. that was the answer to everything. Trying to help, and, I'm sure. Um, while I was down here, you know, the psychosis was still here. It wasn't going away. So I figured I needed to be back in Sydney to understand what it was. And he was against that. So he and he um, he had given me, I was living in a flat that he bought, you know, so I could do university. So he took that away and also said, you know, it wouldn't support me in my photography or anything anymore. So he stripped me of everything like a punishment. <laughs> um, and... It was not a good thing, really, but um, I was able to move in with a lady who with a husband and wife, and she was the senior executive officer of the New South Wales Mental Health, so she had a lot of experience in mental health. They provided me with a really stable home and love, and um, from there I ended up going on to work at Better Homes and Gardens. Oh, wow. But I had some pretty deep stuff that really I only started to understand yeah. around 38. Yeah. Um, really deep stuff from my childhood. So my mother, when I went into high school, I was living with my father because my mother, um, as my father made out, was, you know, mentally mad and crazy. But my mother was actually an incest survivor. So she was actually sexually abused from, well, intercourse from 12 to 18. Uh, every day every night and the grooming started when she was eight and this was her in her home she didn't um she she got out of there when she was 18 
but she didn't go into any kind of therapy until she was 40. So when she did, that opened a massive can of worms and a huge amount of PTSD. And she'd lived with it a lot her life anyway. And I'd lived with it as a child, this mother who was constantly experiencing PTSD and didn't really yeah. know what it was and had all this unresolved stuff. And at that time, you know, I didn't have counsellors, I didn't have social workers, I didn't have anyone to unpack it for me or explain it to me. So I, yeah. as a teenager, used to get upset about things. I'd get quite emotional and I know some of my friends used to tease me about it and I didn't I know I remember why. that about you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty intense. But I didn't know why. Yeah. So it was always like this, what is yeah. this thing that's wrong with me? And I also grew up with my father um, with a real power imbalance. You know, my mother struggled with poverty to get through university, to yeah. educate herself, to provide for me. My father worked for Westfields. He was their top project manager. He was on six figures back in the 80s. He had everything. Wow. And so I would go to my yeah. father and I would <laughs> for weekends and he had a great house and he'd take me out for meals and he'd give me great presents. Well, my mum couldn't close me and we'd have yeah. St Vincent de Paul come into the house to try to put um food in the cupboard and she had this intense stress and then when she went into this um trying to recover and heal and into psychotherapy about her abuse as a child it was yeah. when i began high school because that was the age the really serious the, set, the intercourse started so of course i was a massive trigger for my mother for her, um, yes. you know from 12 and I went to live with my father, which he thought was the best thing. But, you know, it turns out, unfortunately, my father is a, pa a patriarchal, misogynistic, sorry. <laughs> I was, he has I his redeeming qualities. But, but yeah. now I'm coming to terms as an adult that actually a lot of his behaviour was very damaging towards me yeah. um, as a female and as a woman and you know, growing into a woman and around my relationship with my mother and the way he dealt with her mental health as a madness because it wasn't that. Yeah. I mean, if a child is abused from that age in that manner, yeah. it, it causes a horrendous amount of da damage. It affects the frontal lobe. It, I just don't yeah. know how she actually continued to live going through that. I mean, really. yeah, you're right. It's um, amazing she made it to 40 to be able to get into therapy. Well, that's right. So I'm really grateful that she did. And it wasn't until later in my life that I was able to see the profound impact that my mother's example um, had on me. So her her immersion that she went into where she started going to groups and she went to Al-Anon for um, families of alcoholics uh, for support. She yep. went to incest groups and she did all this crazy art that was really dark and weird and healing and she just encouraged me to reach out. So she constantly yeah. encouraged me to reach out and explore um, support and therapy and those things. It's um, beautiful. So that's helped now, but I pretty I went on very much a cycle of ending up in bad relationships. So, you know, I worked at Better Homes and Gardens, then I ended up not being able to stay with those people anymore that had given me the shelter. I didn't really have anywhere to live. So, of course, I ended up with a bloke and living with him. <laughs> and yep. then I ended up in England with a black eye for some reason. I grew up with this um, 
I always had this intense focus that my sense of self was about having a partner. You know, yeah. I just, and that just one. went with me right until I was 38 until I left my final abusive relationship. So I just went from abusive relationship to abusive relationship on and on. So I went to England yeah. with that guy. Um, you know, he stole from me. He beat me up. Um, but I constantly managed to pick myself up and start again. And I guess I learned that from my mum. She's a survivor. So I had a good job in England. Yeah. I came back to Australia. Um, I ended up doing some travelling with a beaver. I picked myself up another abusive man. <laughs> it's amazing. Really violently I, I read somewhere... Me. We will recreate the same situation again and again and again until we learn how to deal with it yeah. differently. And I, I, I yeah. experienced that too. Yeah, and it's all self-beliefs so that need to change that you don't even know it's are there. Just, you don't even know they're there. It's yeah, you know, I just didn't have um, the understanding of why I kept going back because. I was aware of that too. You keep learning the lesson, but I didn't know what the lesson was. So there's some sort of programming yeah. within my brain um, that didn't know what this lesson was. And so eventually I settled in Tasmania. I had my first child when I was 27. So I came back to Tasmania, yeah. decided to stay in Tasmania. <clears throat> I went to start studying my fine arts and photography, which I really loved. Fell in love with a country country boy. <laughs> <laughs> and had my first child um, and that was wonderful. And I, I always wanted to be a mother. I, that was something I always wanted and I had this image. I kind of felt uncomfortable in the sort of feminist era. You know, I want to have kids and be married and have a house in the country and have my photography lab in the, back, in the backyard and what's wrong with me that I don't yeah. want to be a career woman. But now I look back and I'm so grateful for those um, assemblies where they stood up and told us, you know, how great we were and how we can do anything. And for me, that's what I got from the education, this belief within myself that enabled me to pick myself up over and over and over again until I was at the point a few years ago where I'm in the family law court and I have some children's lawyer that doesn't even believe the Family Law Act exists. I have a magistrate that doesn't and I could stand up for myself and say, no, this is not right, the way you're treating me and my daughter. And I had the ability wow. throughout my life to continue to pick myself up and stand up for myself and believe in myself that actually I have value and I have skills and I'd say the research skills I learned for, from school were incredible. They enabled me to self-advocate on levels that yeah. um, people that don't have that um, aren't able to. But um, so that the relationship with my first daughter's father didn't work out. We're still friends. That was um, going to be my question. I was going to say, did that yeah, relationship didn't last? work out. Yeah. No, um, because he was a country boy. I'd come from Sydney and there's very much like a mob a mob mentality in the country. He was a champion footballer. They had the way they wanted him to go and I um, had things I wasn't willing to accept and yeah. I think I probably had a bit of definitely arrogance. 
<laughs> definitely had some arrogance. Yeah, um, I copped that one too. I mean, I'm quite fond of him now and I think, mm, you know, was did we go the right way? Because it only got a lot more messier leaving him um, and we're just coming to terms with uh, being friends again, really, <laughs> and our daughter's 18. That's nice for your daughter. Um, yeah, it is. And um, I guess the flame hasn't really died for him, but maybe we had a lot of growing up to do. So that that didn't work out. But then I just, you know, I then I ended up with someone way worse. <laughs> then I ended up in basically, you know, as we said, if you don't learn the lesson, you keep learning it. Well, yeah, you keep learning it until it gets so bad. It, it comes again. hideous. Yeah. So I then spent eight years with a man that really seriously psychologically abused me and I look back on it and there was physical abuse at times but there was serious psychological abuse and I look back on it, you know, and I would have thought, oh, maybe I chased after him a bit. But he began grooming me three or four years before the relationship started in a small town, just little things. And now I understand more about that. I'm able to see that he did, he was grooming me very early on and I fell straight into it. And he could see my vulnerabilities because he knew about the issues with my family. He gathered all this information for years until then I ended up in this relationship with him and throwing everything away. You know, I had my own home. He convinced me to rent that out and live with him and then I was only there for a few weeks and he was throwing me out and then I was living in my art studio with my daughter and I had people in the town worried about me. What was I doing? Um, I had Gemma come over and visit at one point and just say to me, this is toxic. Get out. I couldn't see it. I just could not see it. Yeah, you're in it. And it was like I was brainwashed. And I spent years, I had a daughter with him, beautiful daughter. She's 14 now. And he just messed with my head for years and years. And towards the end of the relationship, I realised... you know, at 9.30 at night, that's when he'd get really nasty. And he was obsessed with current affairs and news. And Was he a drinker? He had these, he's a drinker, yeah. Drinker, smoker. Mm, the 9.30 at night yeah. is what made me. The 9.30 yeah. at night because I used to think, oh, I don't understand why he doesn't, he doesn't really show alcoholic symptoms, you know. And then, it, yeah, year eight, I started to realise, hang on a minute, it's been eight years, 9.30 at night, that's when he starts to ramp it up and he, and he would talk about something yeah. about politics or this or that and and, and I might um, make a comment and then he, his response would be, oh, that's right, I forgot you're intellectually incapable of having an intelligent conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it, Very <laughs> narcissistic like... and <laughs> But he used to watch the ABC all the time and I'd be like, you know, really, you have all these attitudes about politics. All you do is read the ABC, watch the ABC and read the Australian. I mean, don't you think you should expand your knowledge? <laughs> You're really ah. just, this is a really narrow If um, we're going to talk about intellectual debate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm intellectually incapable, but you just focus on two mainstream media outlets for all So that was a bit of a projection, beliefs. it seems, in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. And that's what it came to in the end, where I realised he just constantly did these things. We had a business on Bruny Island seven days a week. Uh, it was a coffee shop. <clears throat> we had greenhouses. 
Um, I had a house over on the mainland. There was a house over on Bruny Island. My children would travel back and forth to go to school. I would travel back and forth. I would do, you know, 40 hours a week in the shop, plus all of the book work, plus all of this stuff. I'd organize all this stuff, all the rosters. And he would, his response when I was getting stressed would be, oh, you just need to prioritize things better. Oh, you just need to get better organized. <laughs> and it'd be like, and um, eventually, it's like they say, one, one day the lights just flicked on. One day I just woke yeah. up and yeah. I just woke up. I don't know. All of a sudden I just realized and I got on that ferry and I realized I had to cut all contact, that I couldn't actually answer any of his phone calls. I couldn't have any correspondence with him beyond um, uh, mediation or things like that and I had to put up a great big wall and I knew he would try and knock it down and find all of his little coercion ways around it, um, his generosity, yeah. his charm, all of these various things and something came to me that I couldn't actually listen to his voice anymore and um, yeah. I just realized he was programmed, he was brainwashing me and he did Sounds so very narcissistic. Then, I know I'm oh. becoming a backyard diagnostician of everyone. I could find myself in the ADHD. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm hearing a lot we'll of narcissistic traits described here. Yeah. Yeah. So is this how the family intense. court came about with this man? Yeah. Yeah. And look, it wasn't easy leaving him because um, then when I left, my father had actually moved to Bruny Island. So first thing he did was go to my father and start playing with my father mm. and he had already begun that mm. process you know a year before wow. um because my father had lived in Launceston for most of our relationship and and so then I had my father like trying to get me to go back to him and try and telling me that I was it wasn't appropriate I wasn't talking to him and I couldn't work anything oh my goodness <laughs> wow. but thank god I had my mum who had been through yeah. this and stood up and recognised abuse and um, was able to support me to put that big boundary there and be strong. Yeah. And and I just poured myself and my children into psychologists, social workers, family violence support services, all of these things to yeah. get the support that we needed to stay away. And but they do say that Tasmania is about 30 years behind the rest of the mainland and those things and I can tell you <laughs> I am sure our family law court is 30 years behind I hope so because it was absolutely <sighs> um horrendous and it's a pretty horrible place to that, be I think for anyone in well because unfortunately with family violence it's really um unless it's handled appropriately I mean if you've got PTSD which I did and and um it's very triggering PTSD can come across as anger. It can come, but it, yeah. it's actually not. You're actually being triggered um, by what's yeah. happening. And it's quite severe abuse when they actually get an institution to abuse you as well. And then they've got all these yeah. people that are helping abuse you, um, <laughs> you know, lawyers and magistrates. And we're only starting to understand these things today. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, yeah. well, this is where having my education was a challenge. So being so well-educated and having such good research skills wasn't necessarily a good thing because I had read the Family Law Act. 
I had read the Attorney General's report. I had read all of this information on family violence and understanding it and unpacking it and what you needed to do. And so I could see it so vividly that they had no regard for it, that they weren't following any of this, that basically the Family Law Act, as far as this magistrate was concerned, it didn't exist, you know. And so it cut me much deeper. You know, sometimes I think I would have been better off to not have those um, skills to give myself all of that information because then it would, yeah, then it would be less painful. But um, yeah, I survived it. (laughs) I did survive it. And how old were you around that time? Uh, Well, Ruby, it only really um, came to a head about 18 months ago. So Ruby's 14. So I left him when she was seven and it basically continued on. And that's what they say. Sometimes it can be much harder after you leave them, (laughs) the abusers. So it continued until she was um, 12 and a half. And she now has, uh, she's been diagnosed with chronic fatigue, um, myalgia, encephalitis, (gasps) horrendous fevers, horrendous pain, incredibly intelligent, straight-A student, really, really blossoming to not actually being able to read. You know, she would read several books a week to not being able to read, affecting her cognition. And basically for her, we think it's partly to do with the nervous system. So living through all of that stuff is just sending this cortisol off through your body constantly all the time. You're in this fight or flight. It's affecting your nervous system. And she stress, is probably yeah. going to need, yeah, quite a few years to recover. And for having a mother that was so stressed out, I mean, going through that court process for years, we ended up losing yeah. our house. Um, the stress of it, I mean, the stress was just horrendous. And having a mum that was stressed like that, um, yeah. just not good. And so we're in a calmer, quieter place now, which is great. But I had to go through all of that to really understand. Yeah, yeah, there is a bit of hope there now. But someone said to me, sometimes we need to go to the darkness to come back and report the story. I believe that. So, Chrissy Hammond said to me earlier this week, she said this this whole podcast series is sort of becoming a bit of a group therapy session for us all, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I thought it's so true in a way, in a sense that I think everyone's going to find out, I don't know, if they thought they were the only one experiencing things, I think a lot of people are going to find out, you know, they weren't. And some of us already know that from life. I thought I thought the way she I love the way Chrissy like, puts things though you know it's just <laughs> yeah I thought of that she's was, so gorgeous yeah. some of us had this idea that everybody went out and lived up to all this potential whatever that meant mm. um and if there was struggles in our lives that we were somehow well, life is failing. parenting look- is a great example of where I had a fairy tale Oh, yeah. And, you know, the reality of the relentlessness of parenting, you just think oh that's Oh, my so gosh, cute. the sleeplessness, the sleeplessness. Yes, and the, it's like a it's, madness. It never ends. It never ends. And then they <laughs> turn to the teenagers. And then I think uh, with the parenting as well, it doesn't end. You're right. Like I have my 18-year-old and you know, it's always um, there, always yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and really honest as well. Like we, we had tough issues. We lived in a not healthy environment for a long time. And so when we've had to have those conversations, as you do about drugs and alcohol, and I just have been yeah. really honest. 
and I've got a great 18-year-old who has no interest and has tried a bit and has friends. That's where they've gone. Yes. But she's been to psychologists. She's been to social workers. Who's yeah, not interested. And I'm like, and sometimes he'll be really angry (laughs) and losing his shit. And inside my head, I'm thinking, have you not thought of it? Like, (laughs) I love it when people refer to drug addiction as like a health problem. You know, that there's actually yeah. more going on or homelessness yeah. or all these things. It's not one Rather little box. A it's very complex. Issue, yeah. It's very complex. Yeah. And when you um, – actually, Australia is incredibly complex and there is a, a great amount of intergenerational trauma that people aren't even aware of. It's in their family necessarily, in their history. Yeah. And it carries on and passes yeah. on. You don't really it, even know um, – And that whole term break the cycle doesn't mean anything until you feel it in your own family, you know? Yeah. And and that's not easy to break the cycle. Well, it's not easy. When you're in it, you can't even see it. And then once you you do, that's that onion analogy for me. I see one layer, I deal with that, and now there's another one and another one and another one and it's family dynamic elements. Oh, the family dynamics I think are huge as well because often we can make these changes. We go into these healings and and there's a big resistance, you know, and I'm working with my father. I am still coming to terms with behaviours that he has. And and it's wonderful when my children can... um, see it my daughters recognize his behaviors but he's still doing it and there's no way to have a conversation yeah, with him 100%. but I've never had a break from him and now I'm like yeah I need to I can't take on this emotional stuff anymore about I'm just yeah, you get into these dynamics and, and you it's all in it's your head habit. so you and I, I I don't know about you but for a very long time I never spoke to anybody about my beliefs about myself or about the way I should behave so they were just facts mm. it mm. never occurred to me that I was I was full of shit and wrong about yeah. everything like it just <laughs> never occurred to me like, oh, oh that you just and it's, it's yeah, been some of the most beautiful knowledge. change in my life has come from realizing I was wrong about everything I'm like oh it's so great to know you know yeah so it's, yeah the gifts wrapped in shit, I like to call them. Yeah. When <laughs> That's first... a great one. <laughs> you first receive it, it's shit. like a slap in the face. And then you, it becomes a freedom, you know. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. So today Bad you're living with your two daughters. <laughs> I love yeah, the gifts wrapped in shit. It's a great analogy. I do. I love the gifts wrapped in shit. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I can Good use one. that now on my our youngest daughter when she's like, oh, we've just been through so much and our life has been so shit. I can be like, maybe yeah. you'll see in your adult life it's a gift wrapped in shit. <laughs> yeah. Feels like shit today, but there'll be a gift in there. I'm, um, I love it though so- when I hear my girls name stuff up. They are really. Uh, it's profoundly different for me. You know, they they know what is bothering them. They actually, yeah, have much more insight um, because they have that support through through those times. Yeah. But yeah, I live with my eldest daughter, who's eighteen and finished yeah. school, and my mm-hmm. youngest daughter, who's fourteen. And I think we live on about forty or fifty acres. Um, we did used to have our own farm and property, and I built my own house, and we had goats and sheep and all of that, which is great. But um, we're really, you're growing now your own vegetables, and oh yeah, <laughs> I look. I have to <gasps> say, 
it was great. I have to say, even though um, I had that really awful relationship for years, my mother actually supported me to buy my own home when I separated from my first um, first daughter's father. So well, it was land with just a bit of a um, shed built on it, and then I built my own home, and I always had that stability. So when I did uh, leave Ruby's father, so my first daughter's name is Bella, and my second daughter is Ruby. So when I did leave Ruby's father, I had a very stable place to go to. And throughout the, re the relationship, every time I did have to flee, um, most of the time when I didn't have it rented out, I had somewhere to go. And that was incredible, having my own land and building my own home with my children. So when my children were toddlers and young and going to school, I was building a house and building a farm and putting fences in and in between working yeah. at the cafe. And <laughs> Yeah, just as if you didn't have enough yeah. on your plate. Yeah, yeah, doing the book. <laughs> I love the that. overachieving that seems to um, <laughs> permeate all of our lives. You know, like there's yeah. no one who sits around watching Netflix <laughs> and just. Yeah. Well, I had to learn know, how to do that. I had to learn. Oh, how it's to do so that hard, isn't it? I, yeah, when I was in the court system, I had the PTSD, and my body would feel all bruised, and I had to learn that from my psychologist to allow myself to do nothing. To just rest, to learn, to, just, learn, to do to rest. Watch. Yeah, the, I think. Yeah, so. I can't even turn my head off at the massage therapist. You know, I can't it's even turn so it hard, off, isn't it? Just, it's so hard, just, but it's so wonderful to know that it's not just me. Like it's, it's so wonderful. Then I have to say, you know, I really did want to be a mum, and I did make the decision to have my children in the country and not in the city. Yeah. And I am really grateful for that on many levels. And some levels it's been difficult. It's been isolating culturally, I'd say, and uh, yeah. living in a country town has its limitations. But it's also been um, really wonderful in that my children could roam around and build cubbies and run up and down through the bush and dress the goats up. And, you know, they were allowed to explore so um, yeah. they weren't boxed in, and I think that's been been really good. I think that will help them throughout their lives. That, oh. They've taught me that thing as well, like you shouldn't say you did this, mum, and you did that. It's actually really bad, you know, when you say as a parent, well, I used to catch two buses in a train and I do this and yeah. I, I used to spend <laughs> two day. and a half, three hours getting back and forth to school every day. They said, you know, they've actually worked out that's really unhealthy for children, mum. You're not supposed to do, yeah. you're not supposed to like talk about what you did because it actually just makes <laughs> us feel small and <laughs> like we're, we're, oh, we're hopeless. Oh. What a voice she has. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of I'm so grateful when they say to me, you're gaslighting me now, mum. I'm like, what? I, I love it. I know, it's beautiful and annoying that. at the same time. Yeah, I could never but, do yeah, that. I it's lovely that they can do it at that dad. age, yeah. Mm. But, um, yeah, she she didn't do the travelling for college because it was going to be too much and some of the kids do. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, you went through it too hard, too many hours. Yeah, no, it was awful. I am homesick for Sydney. <laughs> Everyone that's probably thinking, oh, you're so great, you live in Tassie, you're so lucky. I have to say I am actually so homesick for New South Wales now. It's been 22 or 23 funny? years. I just want the warm salt water and I just want to... The light, the pink light in the morning. Um, so I don't think we're going to be leaving Tassie too soon. Um, and it's just, 
it's a bit of a catch-22 at the moment because everybody wants to move down here to Tasmania and we have this global warming yeah. thing going on, you know. And I can tell you, it is getting hotter down here. It, it, it was 19 wow. degrees here the other day in winter with a heavy wow. frost in the morning. So, And we have had for about five or six years these cool, more, um, these hot northeasterly winds come in in the middle of the night in winter. So, um, yeah. Lots of me is like, that's it. I want to go. I'm going back. I'm going back to Sydney. I'm, I need to live near the beach. I need to swim in the salt water. But the other part is like, yeah, I think the water might be warm enough down here in another five years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just wait. <laughs> yeah, maybe I just patience, Kate. <laughs> yeah, patience. I don't know. It's tricky. <laughs> but I do. Enough. I am come back and connect. And my youngest daughter, Ruby. She is like, I am not living in Tasmania. She's just, <laughs> the one thing I did do with my kids was I took them out of Tasmania a lot. So they've been to Sydney, they've been to um, Melbourne, Western Australia, Queensland. So they have been, they haven't been isolated in that sense. And Ruby is yeah. just determined to even leave Australia. She's like, I don't even want to live in Australia. I'm going to Sweden. I need more culture. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I still haven't done so, Europe properly. I just did it very briefly. I didn't really do Europe. I just did England. Europe. So um, that's my plan for my 50s. I'm like, I can still yeah. do Europe. I can still see myself in Tuscany <laughs> yeah. one day. Well, I can. I just see myself with my girls in Europe. So I'm. I'm thinking a villa in Tuscany that I'm going to buy over there, Aww. and then my. Um, <laughs> because you can almost get the same value. You may as well go there. I've just got to work out the. Yeah. I've got to really up the arts level stuff, um, so that they actually give me a residency. You know, I need to be valuable to Italy somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and then my Curate young daughter. Italy, just as yeah. here. Well, my young yeah. daughter um, says that I don't want. I'm not going to Italy. You know, I'm going to Sweden. And my eldest is like, "Well, I don't want to go to Italy." I said, "That's okay. I'll just be the base. I'll be the base. You guys can go off all yeah. around Europe where you want to, and I'll just be there in Italy. I'll just that can be where home is, you know. <laughs> so I can see myself nice actually, dream. yeah, traveling with my kids." My girls, we're pretty close, yeah. so. But you never know. Maybe I'll be sitting down here lonely in the next six years, going, "Oh, boo-hoo. better move and back then you'll to, go to Sydney." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems you take action, so I'm probably I'll yeah, take a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah no, it's been I beautiful to so. talk to you, Kate. Yeah, you too. It was long. Really emotional hour that. for me. I'll be honest with you. I had a lot of chills and like a really emotional hour. Yeah. Aww. Thanks for being so open and so honest. That's I really appreciate it. Kate really blew me away with her honesty and her openness today. It was a really emotional and a beautiful episode, and I hope people got as much out of it as I did. Thank you so much, Kate. <laughs>